We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate in discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, online conspiracy theories, urban legends, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your local hotel manager would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, to celebrate 150 episodes of Weird Distractions podcast, I am covering a paranormal hotspot. But before I dive into said hotspot, I need to tell you what I need a distraction from, and then we'll just get right into it. As always, if you want to hear your need for a distraction on a future episode, please feel free to email me, shoot me a DM, or comment on today's episode post over on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. My need for a distraction this week isn't necessarily something that... I'm personally affected by by any means, shape, or form. It's more of something that is terrifying to me, and it's just like, ah, what is the world coming to again and again and again? And this is actually out of Ohio. And if you're tuning in from the States, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So I am wanting to kind of discuss the Ohio train derailment. So residents of a small town in East Palestine, Ohio, are dealing with major environmental consequences of a train derailment that happened earlier this month on specifically February 3rd, 2023. Supposedly, 38 cars had derailed from a Norfolk Southern Freight train, and out of those 38 cars, 10 of them were carrying hazardous materials. Now, the reason why I want to discuss this is because it is 2023, and yes, accidents happen, things happen. We can't always control everything that we do, but I think the way that it's being handled and the fact that we're still carrying these hazardous chemicals in the way that we are is discerning. And for anyone that is tuning in from Ohio or that has family and friends in Ohio, my heart goes out to you. I hope everybody can remain as safe as possible. It's just absolutely scary. And I I, I can't believe we're dealing with this kind of stuff in 2023. I'd also be remiss without mentioning the fact that in Syria and Turkey, there were these devastating earthquakes that recently took place in 2023. I'm going to post some resources and just some fundraising links in today's show notes and just over on social media when I do come across them. 2023 is not off to a good start. I think that's what I need a distraction from, really, is just even though it's not personally affecting me, it's like, can we can we as a species just get a break? Like just for like two, two, three months, just a break, just a break from tragedy, despair, horror, you know, that kind of stuff. Just a little bit of a break would be nice. With that said, I'm going to shut my anxious little brain off and turn on my spooky brain and let's get into this week's distraction. To celebrate this being episode 150, even though I know there's about 170 episodes out right now on the main feed, I still want to celebrate 150 and therefore I'm taking us to Australia 
because it's been a hot minute and why the hell not? Originally, I had a plethora of different topics that I had picked out to discuss today, including the Grunch Road Monster from Louisiana, as well as the Chase Vault out of Barbados, but I wasn't vibing with either of them, looking into them further, so I decided to put them back on my list to cover in the future. I guess the vibes were just kind of off until I landed on today's topic. For this week, I'll be covering the history, the occult observations, and the haunts of the Monte Cristo homestead. This New South Wales location has quite the spooky reputation, so you won't want to skip out on this week's episode. Due to potential coarse language, mentions of murder, and other adult themes, listener discretion is advised. Within the town of Juni, which rests in the region of New South Wales, Australia, lies today's weird distraction. The property where the red brick Monte Cristo stands today was once the spot of a mere slab hut owned by farmer Christopher William Crawley. Christopher was born in 1841 in Sydney, New South Wales, which is about four hours away from Juni. He eventually married Elizabeth Lydia Carr on September 22nd of 1862, and the two would go on to have seven children. In other words, they had enough people in the family to be their own baseball team. The Crawley family would eventually relocate to Junie sometime in January of 1876. Christopher and his family resided in that little slab hut on two parcels of land, barely making ends meet, according to reports. Tough times wouldn't last forever, though, and the Crawley family's luck went from zero to 100 real quick, by 1878. Christopher caught wind that the Great Southern Railway line would be opening, which gave him a grand idea. He saved all the money that the family had kind of got their hands on, and eventually Christopher bought a license to build a railway hotel opposite of where the soon-to-be-open railway station would be. According to the Little House of Horrors website, once the railway came in, the village of Juni would welcome and eventually only consist of Crawley's new hotel. This hotel would have an adjourning railway store and some scattered slab huts on the property, which this became a huge payoff for Christopher and his family and the town as well. It brought in more tourists, which brought in more money, and the vicious cycle of capitalism would grow. With some fresh coins in his pocket, Christopher began purchasing other pieces of property in the town and eventually became a little bit of a local hotshot. But he didn't necessarily just splurge on himself or his family. According to a Wikitree website, Christopher even allegedly donated a parcel of land to the town's church and helped finance the construction of what would be the St. Joseph's Church. Which is great, of course, but I guess I should also highlight the obvious move he made that benefited him and his family specifically. Christopher decided to change things up on the family property, you know, treat himself and his loved ones with some renovations. Referencing from the Little House of Horrors website again, the original slab hut was demolished and turned into a big stable for the Crawley prized horses. There was also a small brick cottage built at some point, which is sometimes referred to as the original homestead. This is still existent on the property to this day, from my understanding, and once served as the servants' quarters. That wasn't all, though. 
below. Eventually, a new two-story red brick house would be built in 1885. This would serve as the new home for the Crawley family and became kind of an iconic site in town. Iconic because of who lived there and its general appearance, but also because it's situated on a hill overlooking the town. This whole situation is kind of giving a rags-to-riches symbol if you think about it. The two-story home that the family lived in would eventually be referred to as the Monte Cristo, and it became kind of a town social center. The Crawley family allegedly held balls there, they would create a golf course on the property, and even a tennis court that the community could use. It was a real razzy-dazzy, snazzy kind of place by the sounds of it. But Unfortunately, not every day was a razzy-dazzy-snazzy day at the Monte Cristo home. As a podcaster who focuses on kind of the macabre or the dark side of things, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the deaths on site. So on December 14th of 1910, Christopher would pass away in the home due to a combination of heart failure and blood poisoning. The blood poisoning supposedly was caused by a carbuncle on his neck that became infected from rubbing against his starched collar. Also, a carbuncle for those who have never heard of it prior to today, like me. According to the Mount Sinai website, a carbuncle is a skin infection that often involves a group of hair follicles. The infected materials forms a lump, which occurs deep in the skin and often contains pus. So not only does it sound gross, but it also sounds painful. Now, Christopher's wife, Elizabeth, struggled with the passing of Christopher, which is more than understandable in my opinion. But from what I gathered, Elizabeth's grief engulfed her. Accounts claim that Elizabeth grieved Christopher primarily in isolation, spending her days in the attic where she had created a small chapel. And when I say isolation, I don't mean she was in lockdown for a few weeks. The sources I came across know that many wouldn't actually see Elizabeth leave the home at all, and there have been only two accounts of her actually leaving the property. 23 years after the death of Christopher, Elizabeth would also pass away within the home at the age of 92 on August 12th of 1933, supposedly due to a ruptured appendix. But Elizabeth and Christopher weren't the only people who allegedly died on the property. The next pieces of information I'm about to share don't have the grandest of details, so it's not certain to me whether it's just local lore or actual factual events that took place. Basically, take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt as your daily sodium intake. One of the deaths that reportedly happened on site took place in 1917 and involved one of the Crawley's daughters who was only 10 months old at the time. Supposedly the then nanny accidentally dropped the baby down a set of stairs. Some claim that this drop was on purpose while others have ruled it as simply an accident. The maid had reportedly claimed that she had felt like she was being pushed by an unseen force. The next death within the home involves one of the Crawley family staff members. Local legend claims that a young nameless maid allegedly fell to her death from the second-story balcony. There's supposedly a bleach stain that many have attributed to this accident, where the other staff members tried to clean up the blood. However, it's not clear whether this incident actually happened or not. I don't know why, but this is reminding me of when we talked about the Athens College in Ohio and kind of reminds me of Margaret Schilling, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should definitely check out that episode. I covered it back on November 7th of 2021. The next death involved a young stable boy named Morris who was reportedly sleeping with the horses and carriages one day in the stables. All was fine until his boss, whose name is not known, I don't know if it was Christopher or someone else, thought that Morris was just faking being sick to get out of work. 
The boss decided that to get Morris up and at him, he would set Morris's straw mattress on fire. What the boss didn't know was that Morris was actually really sick and was too sick to get up, eventually succumbing to the fire. There have also been reports of someone dying on the second floor of the Monte Cristo due to childbirth, but not much detail was given, so I'm not sure the actuality of this information. Speaking of childbirth and, well, babies, allegedly Christopher Crawley is said to have had affairs with two of his maids who became pregnant. One of the maids may have been the one that fell from the balcony. However, of course, nothing in that story has been backed by concrete evidence that I could find. The second maid allegedly did give birth to a son named Harold, who would allegedly live on the property as Christopher and this unnamed maid's child, unbeknownst to Elizabeth and the rest of the family. Which talk about a small town scandal. Harold was reportedly in a terrible accident that left him with a traumatic brain injury. Reports claim that due to his injury, lack of medical support, and well, the era that this kind of took place in, Harold was supposedly kept tied to chains in the coach room. In a direct quote to further explain the lore around Harold from the Little House of Horrors website, quote, Local children would mock him because he would scream all day. They called him a monster, and the children of Junie challenged each other to find and pester him. He was eventually put away in an asylum after he was found by authorities chained to his mother's bed. She had passed away for a while. He died at the asylum. End quote. The property stayed within the Crawley family until 1948. After the last Crawley relative left, the house would stand empty for quite some time. I did see online that there were several people who tried to keep up and protect the home against vandals and trespassers. Most, if not all, of the original furnishings from when the Crawleys lived there were removed from the home during this period, where many of the items were reportedly sold. The Monte Cristo home and property had seen better days when Reginald and Olive Ryan purchased the piece of New South Wales history in 1963. The Ryans put in the work and the money into restoring the Monte Cristo into what it once was, and even made the property into a museum with tours and the option to stay the night on the property. Kind of like a spooky bed and breakfast, which, yes, is my dream to have. It's been open to the public since 1971. The family even opened a reportedly haunted doll museum in town, which has been open since 2019. According to the Canberra Times article, the museum is home to 10 thousand dolls, including ghost babies, zombie babies, and recreations of horror villains like Chucky, Pennywise, and The Nun. Reginald Ryan reportedly passed away in 2014, but from what I saw online, Olive and the remaining Ryan family members continue to run the Monte Cristo homestead. Now, it's been said that it was when the Ryans moved into the Monte Cristo that they picked up on some weird happenings inside the then almost eight-year-old home. Weird, unexplainable things reportedly started happening within the home like a day or two after the Ryan family moved in. But before we dive into those paranormal reports, let's dive into some occult observations. For new listeners to the show, hi, thank you so much for tuning in. Occult Observations is a little ongoing segment where I read the good, the bad, and the downright weird online reviews for the locations covered on the show. As always, I'll kick us off on to negative reviews so that we are ending things on a high, positive note. The first negative review comes from user Con D. It was from four years ago, and they gave one out of five stars. Now, I'm going to read the review, and it kind of makes me wonder if this review is about the Haunted Doll Museum or whether maybe it's a mixture of both, but I'll let you be the judge. So the review reads, 
ended up leaving early. The rooms were full of dolls and Halloween decorations and cluttered with fake antiques which didn't fit the era of the house. They were roped off so you couldn't walk through them. There were a total of three information signs with stories of people's deaths. We noticed a CD player under one of the chairs, clearly put there to play spooky sounds during the ghost tour. The scariest part was the second-story balcony, which felt like it would fall out from under you and was in no way restored. The grounds were unkept. There were some great old-fashioned carts in a shed, and it was a shame these weren't restored. Would not recommend, especially if you're traveling, as there's nothing to do in town if you decide to leave. End of review. The next review is from user Charlotte Ford, which was left a year ago, and Charlotte rated the Monte Cristo Homestead 3 out of 5 stars, which isn't super low, but I thought the review was interesting. It reads, Fun to visit. There are definitely ghosts at the property. A lovely older lady that served my family and I. Sadly, it wasn't very well maintained outside and wasn't very good the second time visiting. End of review. Now on to the positive reviews. So the first one is from user Heidi Rose, which they posted this probably back in January of 2023. It says a month ago, so I'm assuming January 2023. And Heidi left five out of five stars. The review reads, My son and I visited here today. It has been on my bucket list to visit and I slash we were not disappointed. Although sadly, it was very hot and so we didn't stay as long as we hoped for, but we'll definitely return in cooler weather so we can truly soak up the atmosphere and history of this national treasure. We were greeted by a lovely young lady who gave us a brief rundown of the history and also met all of Ryan, current owner who, along with her late husband, is responsible for the wonderful restoration and wow, it's mind-blowing. Olive was also gracious enough to regale us with some wonderful stories. Please, if you love local slash national history, you must visit this wonderful place. For a mere $15, you get to step back in time and learn some amazing, if not heartbreaking at times history and give thanks to an amazing woman who has been instrumental in working alongside her late husband to give us this tourism gift. End of review. Now, the last rating I wanted to talk about was from user Anne Elliott, who posted this four months ago and gave five to five stars. And this is what the review says. Take your time enough to walk through the wetlands to the house and spend an outlet of hours wandering a fantastic haunted place. My phone camera picked up on a strange apparition. Doll Museum is a must-see too. End of review. Now that I've given some occult observations and maybe enticed folks to visit, let's just dive into the paranormal accounts. For a home that is almost 140 years old, the Monte Cristo has welcomed many folks inside its walls. It's seen many faces, heard different laughs, voices, with each person leaving some sort of imprint on the home. It's also allegedly seen quite a handful of deaths, which may have had an everlasting presence into the home's foundation. Now, just because a location has reported deaths that occurred on site, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be haunted. But the paranormal reports coming out of the Monte Cristo do seem to be tied to those that reportedly died on site. So take that whatever way you like. The first paranormal report that I want to talk about is tied to Christopher Crawley. Some claim to see an elderly man dressed in old-fashioned clothes standing at the end of their bed, with the first instance of this supposedly happening to Reginald Ryan after the family settled into Christopher's former home. Supposedly, Reginald was in bed one night and he awoke to see what apparently was Christopher Crawley at the end of his bed, which, ooh, 
that's spooky. And also you have to wonder too, do ghosts kind of have that weird moment of, hey, what are you doing in my house? Or hey, what are you doing in my bed? That's kind of unnerving on both sides, if you ask me. Christopher isn't the only crawly known to roam the property from beyond the grave. Elizabeth's spirit allegedly is kicking around the property as well. Elizabeth, who was known to run the home with a quote, iron fist, seems to be pointed at when it comes to claims of visitors feeling an unnerving cold presence. Basically, Elizabeth is that one person at a party who really doesn't want anyone there. Like, yes, she might have invited you over, but she would like for you to leave at 9 p.m. and no later. And if you don't take your Tupperware and just leave it there for her, she will be very pissed off. That's the vibe I'm getting. She really doesn't want anyone visiting. Get out. This is my home. What are you doing? Another person that reportedly haunts the property is Harold, the boy born out of an alleged affair between Christopher Crawley and one of the maids. Supposedly, people have heard the sounds of chains moving within the coach room. Another child associated with the haunts on the property is the 10-month-old baby, who, as a reminder, was only 10 months old when she supposedly died after falling down a set of stairs. Weirdly enough, children who visit the museum seem to become moody when they go near the stairs that this baby lost her life on. Some guests even claim they feel as though they're being pushed by some kind of unseen force on their backs while going up and down the stairs. Further claims seem to report that people will feel an ice-cold, tiny hand slip into theirs when they're going to the upstairs rooms. Which that kind of breaks my heart. It's as if this little baby is trying to grab for someone to save her from beyond the grave. I mentioned earlier that there were caretakers of the property during the period when the Crawleys left the home and before the rides took over. One of those caretakers was allegedly a man named Jack Simpson. Based on what I found online, Jack may have been one of the last caretakers on the property. And I say this because he was killed on the property in 1961, only two years before the Ryans moved in. Now, I should have mentioned this before, but I figure I'll just loop it in with the spooky stuff. So here we are. Supposedly, Jack was shot on the front porch in the front of the house by a young man whose name we don't know. But what we do know is that supposedly this young man had watched Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho three times before murdering Jack. So I guess this kid watched this movie. He decided to go to the Monte Cristo and murder Jack? Question mark? It it's not really clear to me. After Jack was murdered, supposedly this young man had carved die jack ha ha into the shed door on the property where apparently this can still be seen today according to the little house of horrors website i try to look up any articles about jack's murder through newspapers.com but nothing really came up nonetheless some claim to see the apparition of this jack simpson wander around the property to this day other paranormal phenomena that has come out of the Monte Cristo includes lights turning on and off with no logical explanation, as well as people reportedly feeling a wide range of emotions, from content to sadness, again with no explanation as to why, and mood shifts seem to be very common here. So you'll walk in feeling happy, maybe content, and within moments you'll just feel sad or angry or anxious. People that have visited have also reportedly felt 
random waves of nausea and have even fainted on site with no previous medical history explaining why this would happen. There have also been accounts of disembodied voices, footsteps, orbs, and mists that seem to creep around the Monte Cristo. There have been shadow figures caught on camera, such as a January 2022 photo of a random figure seen outside of the homestead. Olive Ryan, again the owner, claimed that shortly after moving into the homestead, which at the time didn't have any electricity, she witnessed beaming bright lights coming from the home once the family was driving towards it. I guess they were coming home from being out for a bit. And as the Ryans were driving back to the home, they noticed that this large beaming light was just bursting through the windows. The home at the time was only lit by one kerosene lamp, so Olive, nor the rest of the Ryans, could explain why the house was beaming with this light. To add another layer of weirdness, supposedly this beaming light disappeared by the time that the Ryans got closer to the home. But with all this said, it's time to bring all this home and wrap up this week's weird distraction. The Monte Cristo really started as a symbol of resilience and success. The Crawley family brought money into the town of Juni and probably enabled a lot of great memories in the beginning. But like many places, the Monte Cristo succumbed to death loss and eventually local lore. Is the Monte Cristo as haunted as it's claimed to be? Does it deserve the title as Australia's most haunted house? That I will leave to you to decide. Feel free to share your thoughts over on the show's social media accounts or shoot me an email. If you've ever been to the Monte Cristo homestead and have a weird experience you'd like to share, I'd also love to hear it. It may even be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. 
And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.